Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Well, 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 folks, it is one and only V, the Grill Economist. We are here on Rogue News this afternoon. We're starting a late show because we have with us Anton Chaitkin. He is an amazing, prolific mind, and I think his message, and I very, very strongly recommend that you get his book. The links will be in the description box because it's very poignant. It's very powerful. It's very timely, a critical time such as this because let's be honest here, folks, the rudiments, the very systems that we've been running with, the mythos, the, the legend, the propaganda that many of us have swallowed for the last several decades is running its course. We're a country on the precipice. And now is more important than ever that we understand who we are. Because when we understand who we are, we understand what the narrative is from the founders of this great nation to those who fought for justice, for freedom, for equality, and what it all means. Because look, let's be honest here, folks. There's a there's a message out there that is a, a, a perversion. And it's time for us to break through. Anton is someone who's an amazing mind. He's going to break this down for us. He's a, a, a mentor to our colleague here, Matthew Errett. And uh, I like to say that Anton is the Obi-Wan to Matthew Errett Skywalker. So <laughs> May the fourth be with you. Absolutely. <laughs> In the early 1930s, Anton's father, Jacob Chaikin, is a pro-FDR lawyer. He was very instrumental in blocking some of the most crazy, insane criminal dealings that Wall Street financial arrangements had with Hitler. And he's also the legal counsel for the American Jewish Congress that boycotted against Germany. And Anton grew up committed to justice with a strong sense of the realities of power politics, which he's going to make available to you and open your eyes to today, folks. About two years after the JFK assassination, uh, Chaitkin heard from Lyndon LaRouche that financiers were shifting American strategy away from industrial progress toward cheap labor, foreshadowing a fascist policies and systemic collapse. An association was formed to defeat those who had brutalized contemporary thought in science, economics, the arts, and philosophy. Anton Chaitkin began a systematic inquiry into the American history, and he found but the mental map of our former leaders was far more profound and more pro-human than anything available in the post-JFK era. He has done sharply original work in American history in hundreds of articles and in two books, Trees in America, From Aaron Burr to Avril Harriman, a 600-page unveiling of the Eastern Establishment as the, uh, as the Tory British racist imperialist faction, and George Bush, the unauthorized biography, which he's done with, the, I believe it's Webster Tarpley. And his current book, which I purchased, and I can't wait to delve into deeply, who we are. And with that being said, Anton, it is my great honor to have you on, sir. 
Well, thank you very much. It's a great fun and, and privilege to be with you. Anton, where would you like to begin? Because this is a very important topic, who we are. It's very important that people understand the history of the United States, and it is a ball of yarn. So with that, Anton, I, I ask you that you unfurl this, 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 this ball of yarn for us and unpack exactly who we are as a nation. Let's start with the problem of what happened to our country uh, 50 years ago, approximately, in the 1960s, uh, with the murder of Kennedy and his brother and Martin Luther King. The United States was dragged away from its original uh, purpose and its mission, which was originally to uplift our citizens and mankind with uh, more control over nature, with better living standards. That was stopped. It was reversed. The Anglo-American establishment changed the philosophy and strategy of this country towards cheap labor a system called globalism, perpetual wars, and uh, just deindustrializing the country, taking down our industry. So what did we have before that? How did we become a great and powerful country that had better uh, for the people than any other country? How did that happen? We started off uh, very uh, relatively backward. Yeah. How did we get this advance? And when you go into that story, uh, you find that it was a, a leadership uh, with strategy, with an outlook that used public and private means and a fight against the opponents of yeah. progress to accomplish the change. It didn't just happen. It was a mission. It was a revolutionary mission. And we defeated the enemies of that progress progress again and again to bring about this great uplift that we accomplished in the United States of America. So um, if you'd like to, uh, uh, if you want to ask some particular questions about it, or I can tell you how the book uh, is structured and what, what, what it does. Um, we, uh, we started off uh, and I grew up with a story that was told about how modern times came about. Yeah. And this story was uh, given us by two ends of the same thing. Uh, basically British imperial uh, uh, philosophy and history as represented by Adam Smith, the econ British economist, right. and also by Karl Marx, the communist theorist who uh, lived in England to do his work and was under their, uh, their constriction of his uh, mental map. So what they said is that the industrial revolution that went from feudalism to capitalism or to modern industry happened because of changing conditions. And uh, the, one of the main things that changed, they said, is that the restrictions on money-making were taken off that they used to have under feudalism. Now, under the new system, according to these guys, both the free trade people and the communists, they said that it was lifting the restrictions on what rich people can do with their money 
that allowed them to put their money into uh, uh, enterprises that that made a high living standard. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do it in order to make a high living standard. They did it only to make money. This is completely false. Correct. Nothing like that ever occurred. It's true that capitalists and investors put their money into things that improved life, but they didn't build them. They, they didn't start them. They didn't make the, they didn't start the industries. Mm -hmm. And they, the, the worst of them, the faction concentrated in London, the faction allied to them among our slave owners and Wall Street, mm -hmm tried to stop the development of uh, great uh, industries and modern times in other countries after England had had an industrial revolution. They right. tried to prevent progress all over the world. And we had to set up an independent nation and our own uh, economic system here in America, which was the opposite of the British system in order right. to get this uh, accomplished. You know, Anton, I, I love that you said that because these these uh, individuals, these those who belong to that school of thought, they are still trying to prevent industrial development all over the world in countries that need it the most. And I'm glad that you mentioned the American system as opposed to the British system. M the majority of people have no idea that there even is an American system or what it even is. Can you explain for us, can you define for us succinctly what that American system is? Let me do it by pointing to something that it did rather than make a theoretical explanation. Mm. How did we get railroads in the United States? This is a very timely issue because we need to build them again. We need high-speed trains. Right. We need modern times. We, we fell out of that. So how did we start modern times, which included developing railroads? The first railroads in the United States were developed in the 1820s and 30s. The, the, the first railroads were designed by U.S. Army engineers right. that were assigned by President John Quincy Adams after they had been trained at West Point uh, in a deliberate project to make West Point a center for progress. The first locomotives on our trains were built at the West Point foundry which is across the river from the academy. Correct. Again, it was a project of a group of nationalists who put that whole uh, complex together. The, all of the uh, railroads originally were public projects. That was, they were community projects. They were funded by both uh, federal, state, and local money uh, as seed money. And then private individuals or, or groups of people would put a, a, a large public subscriptions also put their money into the stocks to uh, help finance these things. But without the government's in, a role in this and, and without the military to be the first competent engineers, it wouldn't have happened. Mm. So we then quickly surpassed England and Europe in building railroads across, across America. Uh, the canals, everybody knows about the Erie Canal. Correct. It was built uh, by uh, the New York State. Jefferson and Pre uh, Madison, as presidents, turned down federal aid. They said Jefferson said it's 100 years before its time. So it was built with uh, New York State funding. But the, the chief uh, inspirer for that, Governor DeWitt Clinton, was a member of a team 
of nationalists who believed in developing America and the world and uplifting mm -hmm. mankind. And uh, other members of this team who did this, who built, then took and built the canals all the way out to the Mississippi River, through the Great Lakes system, through Ohio, through Indiana, through Illinois. This whole system of canals was built up by federal funding, federal land grants, state funding, and by the uh, Bank of the United States, our national bank, led by Nicholas Biddle, mm. that kept the, the financial markets and the flow of credit going in a way that would uh, go uh, back up and support productive investments. Correct. It was more right. of a development bank rather than a a central bank like we have with the Federal Reserve. Right. The problem with the Federal Reserve is that it's not just our central bank. It's part of a system Correct. of uh, central banks that are actually governed according to globalism. It's not our central bank. It's not our national bank. But then look at look at the, uh, the go go back to this period, 1820s, 1830s. You see the the uh, American system in operation. What was the team? And I go through this in detail. The team was Henry Clay in the Congress, mm -hmm. uh, who coined the phrase "American system" to oppose the British free trade system. Uh, there was Matthew Carey, his teacher, an Irish immigrant who was a, a protege of Benjamin Franklin in our revolution. Uh, there was John Quincy Adams, the president of the United States, who defined the, the uh, role of government and, and of uh, the idea of sovereignty, the demand that our country be sovereign and that others' countries' sovereignty be respected. Right. Something we don't do now because we don't respect our own sovereignty. Correct. Uh, we had uh, a, a man named, uh, it was General Joseph Gardner Swift. He yep. was a uh, one of the, the second superintendent of West Point Military Academy. Yes. And he was one of this team member of these nationalists who strategized the building of the United States into a manufacturing uh, power, uh, an industrial power. Uh Then you had uh, Nicholas Biddle. He's part of this team. He was committed throughout his life to uh, the development of the United States. And he fought for uh, the progress of this country and other countries as well. The, these are, with his help, uh, uh, the, all of the, uh, the developments uh, in coal mining, we had our first uh, commercial coal mining, came up at the same time. It was sudden. Uh, it was a national strategy to build the canals and then the railroads to carry the coal. That gave you the industry. Otherwise, you don't have a coal mining industry. Uh, you had the iron industry, which was developed all of a sudden. We had it uh, to a great extent in the colonial period at that level. Uh, it was pretty good. But it, it took higher tariffs and technological breakthroughs steered by these nationalists in the 1820s to give us our modern iron industry and then the steel industry. These things, the whole industrial revolution was a project of the American system and of these men. Absolutely correct. And you, and, and, and how is that different? Like we talk about a production-based economy. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No problem. Yeah, we talk about a you know, production-based economy. 
what was the clear like during the time where America all of a sudden you have the Army Corps of Engineers led by General Swift, um, you had Biddle Nicholas Biddle at the uh, at the United States Bank, and these guys and and the group of nationals there that that dreamt of creating an industrial powerhouse and uplifting not only the United States of America but the entire world, the fellow humanity, creating this open source modular economic system. As opposed to this, at that very same juncture, Anton, the British going with this free trade model. What was what what was going on in the UK? Why were they moving towards free trade? Why were they moving towards the the this the speculation economy at the same time that we are coming online as an industrial powerhouse? No, in, no history can be understood without seeing the two sides. Uh, fighting it out mm. uh, for how the future will be shaped, how man's thinking will be shaped. What is man's destiny? What is a human being? Those are completely different philosophies on the two sides. On the one side, you have the developers, the builders, the nation builders. On the other side, you have looters, exploiters, and people who see uh, uh, human beings as mere animals. Correct. So in England, uh, there were some very uh, uh, talented uh, uh, people that uh, were inspired by, at certain times, by by good leadership. Mm -hmm. During the uh, from seventeen fifty seven to seventeen seventy five, Benjamin Franklin himself lived in England for most of that period and was the inspiration and mentor to the people who uh, built the first steam engine, uh, who invented that, James Watt and uh, Matthew Bolton, uh, the uh, Wedgwood, uh, who together with other people there developed the canals of England. So they had this these great breakthroughs. Uh, and the, the idea of these people, they were all abolitionists. They were all opposed to slavery. Franklin uh, gave inspiration in that as well. Uh, there was, at the same time, the, uh, the constant growth of the British Empire, the imperialists, the East India Company at the right. center of it, and the Bank of England as an adjunct to that, and the city of London as a special district, basically of criminal finance, just like offshore is today. So they had a different perspective altogether. They did not originate these enterprises like the first steam engine or, or the first canals. They, they weren't a part of that, but they saw it developing. They, they, they said, okay, this is good. We'll get power for our empire. And they resolved it, it, even before the end of the American Revolution, when they had gotten these great breakthroughs, that no other country would get industry. This was the big change. They, they started putting out a new propaganda for what they called free trade. And by that, they meant that other countries must not allow their own governments to guide the trade of their own country. They pre prevent or, or, or even damp down imports of cheap goods. They can't, they can't interfere with trade deliberately. That's a new law if, between nations. It was complete baloney because the 
France had, had developed as a country with tariffs, and England had developed as a country with tariffs, started, starting off with Queen Elizabeth. They had strong tariff system in England right. and, and other great restrictions on everything. So this uh, idea of free trade put forward by the faction led by Lord Shelburne, uh, a strategist for the East India Company, he was briefly prime minister. He said, we're going to be friends with America. We'll be friends with France. But he's carrying on regime change, covert warfare against all these countries. Same thing with Ireland. And I go through this in detail. This is the new British intelligence system that was set up at this time, which incorporated private intelligence with public, with the government. That is uh, uh, intelligence uh, operations associated with large international companies and banks, same as we have uh, uh, after that in Wall Street in London. And their goal was to prevent other countries from developing. They were chiefly responsible for uh, hundreds of millions of dead people in this yeah. world, in yeah. India, in Africa, in Ireland, and elsewhere. Uh, they, 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 they decimated large parts of the world. There was a contrary philosophy uh, that developed in England and in Germany and in Italy and other countries and was brought here by our uh, Puritans and by the people, uh, some of the best people that founded Virginia. Yeah. Uh, not slavery. That was, that was something that came in from a worse element in Europe, including later the British themselves. Mm -hmm. But the people who founded this country as a project to get a better civilization than, than under this kind of imperial oligarchy, they had the idea that it's part of men's right to have a better life and to look forward to breakthroughs all the time. New breakthroughs, unheard of progress, science that gives you a new view of the heavens and of the stars and of the content of the earth and of man's future with undreamed of technologies. And we can do that because we're human and God gives us this reason that is, it's not limitless, but we can reach for unlimited progress. The universe has limitless resources. And so this idea of uh, the progress of industry and the, uh, and the progress of our control over nature uh, this was the founding mission of the United States of America. Uh, the, the difference between the two sides is not a particular tactic like a tariff. Uh, tariffs are, are, are useful under many circumstances. You could also have people who believe in high tariffs who are not good people. Like, right. you know, the, when Rockefeller and Morgan ran... Uh, our financial system and our government's finance during the uh, parts of the 20th century, uh, they, they were, in the first place, they were part of the Republican Party and went for high tariffs, but it wasn't for development. What is our system? Our system is based on a revolution, and it's based on a constitution. Now, if you look back at the revolution, as I've done in this book, there was a core leadership. Uh, the, 
the three principal members of this leadership, so a de facto executive for the uh, revolutionary before the Constitution, while we're still fighting the revolution, it was George Washington, the general of the army. It was Benjamin Franklin, who was the first in, in uh, Philadelphia uh, and then over in France as our chief diplomat right. and intelligence person. And it was Robert Morris, the financier of the revolution, who was uh, appointed by Congress to fulfill that duty. Three of them and their associates, such as Alexander Hamilton, such as uh, Governor Morris, uh, associate of, uh, of Robert, not, a, not related, James Wilson. Uh, these are brilliant people, and they had a common idea that you have to use the resources and, and power of uh, government and common purpose to give people the opportunity to develop a country. So during the war, that meant funneling uh, gold and, and any other resources you could to the Revolutionary Army. Uh, at the uh, close of the war, they, they had developed a bank in Philadelphia called the Bank of North America. Again, this right. was to finance the revolution and to begin to provide some credit and, and stability after the revolution. This group of people, with those three in the center, uh, came up with and, and, and furnished the general program that was put forward by Alexander Hamilton uh, as the first treasury secretary. He was brilliant. He was a, a, a thoroughgoing idealist. And the only way that you can uh, not understand this whole story is to uh, lie about Hamilton. The same way that people lied about Nicholas Biddle later on. Uh, so, but Hamilton's program was for uh, giving us a, a, a national bank, uh, a, a new version of the North America. It's not a new version of the Bank of England. The Bank of England is is uh, a central bank de dedicated to uh, the commercial. It, well, what's the purpose of it? A commercial the purpose was to, was to facilitate imperial commerce yep. uh, and speculation. It did not as had no special. Uh, uh, mandate to uh, care to help the progress of the country. No, or, or it wasn't a development. It was not a, like a, set up like an AIIB, like in the infrastructure and development bank. It's it's purely right. for the speculative. Uh, 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 it was basically providing fuel for the speculative engine that is the city of London, and and, and for the commerce of these imperial enterprises like the, the slave trade the uh, India trade and so forth. So, uh, so Hamilton's program was a national bank, government sponsorship of infrastructure development uh, and uh, uh, tariffs uh, to support uh, the uh, new industries and not have them be swamped uh, by particularly British imports. They, they deliberately put in cheap imports to try to stop us from developing manufacturers to undercut our... Oh, yeah, they would, they would dump steel on us all the time. And it was a huge problem yeah. for early uh, industrialization. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, cheap steel killing our, our, our steel industry. Absolutely. Right. So what there's 
the famous, famous showdown that occurred in the early 1790s between Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton. Uh, it was Jefferson who recruited James Madison to take part in this, because earlier Madison was a nationalist. He was allied to, uh, to Hamilton, helped write the Federalist Papers and helped put the Constitution through. The Constitution was largely written by this core group that I mentioned from the revolution uh, associated yeah. with Franklin. It was not written by James Madison. And, and the, the, the people who believe that Madison was the father of the constitution, they, don't, they have no knowledge themselves of what happened there. They, they're, they're just following what the free trade people said later on when Madison changed his views. But what happened with Jefferson? Jefferson was a revolutionary. He was anti-slavery. He was he was dedicated to to getting out of this slave system, and uh, he gradually uh, may have formed some other ideas. But really, his reputation was blasted when he was governor of Virginia uh, during the later stages of the revolution. He fled from the British advance in Virginia, uh, and he was uh, threatening to quit politics altogether. And he was asked by uh, representatives of the uh, the leading slaveholding gentry get into politics again uh, as a representative of Southern interests. In other words, of the slave and plantation system, instead of being a dedicated revolutionary who wants to develop our country and wants to, you know, saw the needs of mankind. Yeah. Uh, then he went to France as America's ambassador there uh, to succeed, uh, to follow in the footsteps of Franklin. Correct. And he, while he was in France, he took up with representatives of Lord Shelburne, the head of the British intelligence system and the faction leader for the East India Company faction. And he was assigned by Shelburne who sent a guy, he was assigned a teacher who came over to Paris, Douglas Stewart. And for months, the, uh, Stewart would tutor Frank uh, Jefferson on free trade and imperial economics. Hmm. And what does that mean? It means that America should be limited to agrarian and, and plantation economics and maybe producing some raw materials like logs, or iron ore or something and ship the raw materials and the food and the cotton and the tobacco. England, let them do the manufacturing. That's the imperial system. That's what all the countries are supposed to do. Let England do the manufacturing. Uh, and, 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 you know, they broke down the manufacturing in India the same way. Yeah. They, had to, they, they, they had to wear clothes made in England when they had perfectly beautiful clothing there in, in, in yeah, India. Plenty of cotton. <laughs> so Jefferson uh, then uh, put himself forward as a representative of this clique of the leading Anglophile, pro-British empire uh, uh, slave owners. Hmm. These are not people that, that don't want an independent country here, but they want the independence to be just limited to uh, uh, some laws, but not really independent at all. We would be a subset of the British Empire. Yeah, it would be and a vassal state, another commonwealth. Worse than that, 
Yeah. A commonwealth has its, could have its own ideas uh, sure. in, in many ways. So the, the, the whole slave system grew up because uh, the initial proposal by Hamilton to begin the industrialization of the country under the, under the sponsorship of our government was, was stopped. It was blocked by this clique of principally Virginia owners with an increasing support from what was developing as Wall Street, both arms of the British Empire. The Wall Street people were importers of uh, manufactured goods from overseas, and they were brokers for the cotton that went off to England. So Jefferson uh, opposed the, the Hamilton program, which had been the Franklin program, which was the program of George Washington, was the program of the revolution and of the constitution. That is, we need to develop manufacturing and change the country to a manufacturing power. Why is that such a big deal? Because England had just done that and that gave them great power. They had steam engines. They were developing all kinds of machine industry. Yes, they were. Uh, and so if we are limited to a little space on the Atlantic Ocean, because we don't have canals or railroads to get across the Appalachian Mountains, if we are limited to only uh, basically primitive agriculture because you need machines and you need technology and science to really get the best uh, use out of the soil. You have to understand things uh, scientifically. Our, our farmers mm -hmm. at their best were science, scientific men and women. Yeah. So uh, this was blocked. Well, why did they do that in the South? How did they see their interests? They said, well, if the government of the United States is permitted to uh, promote the industrialization of the country, slavery is finished just right. from that. Exactly. We're not even talking about abolition of slavery. The slave system is based on the idea that you've got these rich men, relatively rich, in the South, and their money is invested in these plantations. They don't get a lot of profit from that, but they sure have a lot more profit and money than the other people do, the, the poor right. white people and the black slaves. Uh, so what happens if you start up an industrial system, if you have canals and railroads and factories and you have skilled labor? You can make a ton of money investing in those kind of factories and in that kind of a system. You can make much more profits than you can from just murdering people who are slaves. Correct. You know, That's murder right. is a way of, of, you know, robbing something, but it's not really even profit and it doesn't. It can't reproduce itself. It can't last. You destroy the soil. You destroy everything. Mm -hmm. So if the industrial uh, industrialization were to occur in the United States, the slavery system would 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 be uh, would rather take their money and put it into industry. Southerners would, especially if they're connected by railroads and roads and canals. If they uh, if we have flourishing science centers and so forth. So they blocked the development of industry for a whole generation. And it wasn't until after the War of 1812, we fought another war against England, War of 1812. And that was 
that revved up the nationalist spirit in the United States and said, we've got pride. We held them off the biggest empire in the world. Now we're going to have to make a big country that, that makes tremendous accomplishments. Uh, so uh, this is the background for the entire industrial progress, right. uh, the, the leaps that we made. We made one yeah. such leap in the period of the 1820s, 30s, and 40s. Then we had some terrible Southern uh, and Northern uh, pro-slavery uh, presidents. They were backed by this London, Wall Street, Southern slave owner combination. We had a civil war about all that. And then Lincoln, who was the greatest uh, 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 advocate of the American system and of the progress of our country and of mankind, his presidency set the tone for the rest of the progress that occurred in many, many ways. I'm going to have this in volume two of the book. Uh, we accomplished electricity as a sponsored project from this nationalist group and center in Philadelphia, backing Thomas Edison, not Wall Street. Wall Street tried to block it. Correct. Uh, Morgan put his money into the Edison operation in order to try to keep it bottled up. That's a common theme, obviously, uh, throughout history. But uh, we, we developed petroleum, wasn't by Rockefeller. He come in and took it over, didn't start mm -hmm. it. Uh, electricity, mass production, uh, great steel mills, and eventually uh, the auto plants. Right. Uh, but you Ford. have to be careful about the automobile because uh, you, you don't want to stop the forward motion of technology and simply right. just drive cars all the time. You car should be your personal your personal, uh, for your personal use and freedom, but you shouldn't have to get a car to go to work. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. We're way behind the other countries. How do no, we really are. get out of that backwardness? Do what we did before. Have these great national projects to build up completely modern infrastructure. We have mm -hmm. a chance to do that now. Everybody's talking about infrastructure. Sure. Look back at how we did it in the past. How do we accomplish these great things? We could do anything right up through the point of the space program with Kennedy. And then the. Then, then all stopped after that. He was murdered and this stopped and stifled. And that's yeah. that, that's the, the real background of our, our country. That's who we really are if we are anybody. The United States is that kind of idea of progress. Absolutely. Uh, Anton, can you detail for us, you know, especially the critical years right after World War II? how this poisonous doctrine of speculative economy versus production-based economy, how that crept back in and began to strangle. I mean, it was, I don't know if it was FDR or was it Truman, where he said, I can't send anything to another part of my office without, without some Brit being involved. Uh, you know, so <laughs> can you explain well, to us exactly this, this, yeah. this, this switchover and how it led to JFK and then to where we are today? Go ahead, Anton. Well, we, we've had this opposition of the two sides, the, the uh, first the British and then it was Anglo-American because there were institutions in Wall Street and the South that were set up yeah. as uh, adjuncts to the British Empire. It was in the late 19th century that Wall Street, uh, principally the Rockefeller family and J.P. Morgan and his bank and other people like Vanderbilt uh, got uh, power over uh, the 
finances of the United States, the federal finances, and that is the bonding and so forth. And, uh, they had they were at war with the nationalists who had who were building the industries. Eventually, took over the industries, and that whole war and showdown is crucial to understand this. FDR's father was in that. He was he was trying to build up the South, working with the Pennsylvania Railroad to try to modernize the South. But uh, so by the turn of the century, you had the last nationalist American president, uh, William McKinley, uh, up up through 1900. He was reelected with Teddy Roosevelt as a, as a vice presidential candidate, and uh, he was immediately murdered when after the inauguration. So uh, Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, who was a an Anglophile, a believer in the British Empire and white men's rule throughout the world, uh, which doesn't mean America ruling itself. It means that the empire rules the world. And what's the empire? The empire is this agglomeration of power with centers in London and New York, but particularly in London and some other places in continental Europe, and later it's offshore banks. This system grew up all the way through the 1920s. They, the British started World War I in order to block uh, the uh, other countries uh, from developing the way America did. We, America had, had helped Germany, Russia, and Japan to become modern powers. And we had a whole new system of independent sovereign nations who were friends and, and believed in common purposes, but each country ruled itself. The British saw this as a total threat. They were being overtaken in industry and, and power by all these other countries, these new ones. So they, they set up these alliances, they sicked Japan on, on Russia, they, 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 they turned Japan against the United States. Uh, and they they started the the uh, build up to World War One. Uh, during the 1920s, we had a disaster uh, for uh, a, a, a strategic situation. We had, fascism was being developed by the Bank of England principally. They were the leading institution, starting it up in Austria, uh, then uh, Mussolini's Italy, and then uh, uh, Germany and Japan. Uh, so there was some progress in the U.S. in the 1920s, but we were we were becoming an economic wreck even there underneath. The farmers were being destroyed, workers were being uh, some. It, it was a mixed situation, but it couldn't last the way it was because it was based on a a, a, a disastrous uh, uh, looting of the world that was going on by this imperial system. So then it crashed. Franklin Roosevelt, who had been governor of New York, uh, was elected on a program of recovery. Right. And he himself, especially after he got polio and was home, homebound, and was able to spend his time studying, buying thousands of books, he became probably America's leading historian. Yeah. Completely immersed himself in the American Revolution. As a, as something that the world needs to understand, as something that changed the world, uh, he identified himself with his ancestor Isaac Roosevelt. There, he had other ancestors, including his cousin Teddy Roosevelt, who he disavowed because of his imperialism. So he learned a lot, and he learned that the American idea 
is something that you have to fight for. And he saw his own capabilities of fighting for that. So he was as great, he became as great a leader as Lincoln, as president. Uh, and his goal for the world could be summed up in the Four Freedoms speech that he made in 1941, where he said that uh, all human beings on this planet have the right to freedom of speech. We don't quite have that in the United States right now. People don't speak out. They don't even talk about serious issues a lot of times, but for other reasons, they're also censored. Freedom of worship and religion. Well, I would say religion is disrespected. And not only the Christian religion, but the Muslim religion and the, the uh, Hindu religion by the Muslims and the Muslim religion by the Hindus and the Jewish religion by the Palestinians and the Palestinians. By... So we don't have freedom of religion. We have murder going on. Right. The next freedom was the freedom from want. That means that uh, we sh all people have the right to a good standard of living. That was put into the United Nations Charter and agreed to by the entire world. Uh, how is that possible? Well, it only became possible because of what we accomplished with the Industrial Revolution. Now we have these, these huge machines and we have this, these techniques and we have this science that could provide tremendous uh, 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 uplift of living standards throughout the world. Africa, where half a billion people have no electricity, that's insane. Africa is rich with resources never tapped before. Why are they prevented by the globalist system from getting out of poverty? Don't blame corrupt dictators. That's what people always talk about. They don't. Yeah, that, that's a knee jerk no reaction. They don't care when they say something like that. They just don't care about those people. They'd rather protect a rhinoceros than protect those children, who 100 million starving children there. They don't exactly. need to starve. Right. That's ridiculous. Every man, every human being has the right to a decent standard of living. And then the last one was freedom from fear. And that means you can't have wars. It became illegal in the 20th century by, by uh, official treaty obligations. It became illegal to start a war. What we did with the Nuremberg trials, the chief crime of the Nazis was starting World War II. You can't, you're not allowed to start a war, it's illegal. All of their mur mass murders were committed under the cover of and under the circumstances of that war. So uh, what the United States has been doing with England recently of starting wars all over the world, like in Syria or Iraq or wherever, uh, that's illegal. That's not, it, it, it's flat out illegal. The people who, who designed these things should, should be in prison. So this idea of the four freedoms of man's rights, including the right to a good living standard, a mm. good job, good opportunities. This idea uh, uh, for uh, cooperation between countries and for building up our civilization uh, was uh, an inspiration from FDR and from the USA, again, to the rest of the world, just like they'd been inspired by Lincoln and the Union victory, just like they'd been inspired by the revolution and our constitution. The, re the whole world was constantly re-inspired by, by what America was accomplishing. So when Roosevelt died, the Anglo-American faction 
uh, headed up by this, this group of imperial gangsters who had been developing you know, uh, philosophy, uh, uh, dark philosophy since the uh, late 19th century. This group in Wall Street and London and in the, in the diplomatic service and elsewhere where you had uh, uh, strange combinations of, of intelligence agents, they immediately uh, uh, got rid of patriotic and pro-Roosevelt people in the intelligence community, in our intelligence community. The spies, double and triple agents, were feeding Russia with anti-American propaganda to turn the Soviet Union against the United States. Yeah, the Soviet Union was communist. They had their own ideas about what they wanted to do themselves or the world. But the idea of dividing the world up between capitalism and communism and having yeah. and continuing World War II, that was this idea that came from London and that came from traitors in the United States like uh, like the Dulles brothers and so forth, who, who yeah. spit and, on and the grave yeah, and you see yeah. the influences with guys like even like George Patton, <laughs> a, a megalomaniac blowhard. Well, and, he, but he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, he was an. I he he was sort of an ideologue about Russia and communism, but he was correct. more just a fighter. He didn't sort of like uh, uh, Benedict Arnold, who was a great general, but didn't have a great a bunch of a lot of depth. But so then Kennedy miraculously, or not really, because that's our country. That's who we are. He came up in World War II, fought throughout the war. His commander-in-chief was Franklin Roosevelt. Yep. He himself studied American history deeply and world history. And again, identified with the American Revolution. And he said, what we're doing now is wrong. We're backing the French and British to suppress the African uh, uh, colonies that want to be independent. We're starting, we're, are we supposed to go into Vietnam and help the French control Vietnam? We're going to lose the world to the communists if we do that. Oh, was he wrong? No. Right? What, what happened? We have to go for our point of view, not be put into a scenario by some uh, 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 strategist who's, who doesn't have our welfare at, at heart. Uh, so he was an anti-colonial strategist. He was the principal anti-imperial polit political leader in the United States, in the U.S. Senate. And when he became president, uh, he worked to uh, bring back FDR and earlier presidents' uh, uh, methods and point of view. But he also said, look, America has to accomplish new things like we did in the past. So the space program was his was an idea along these lines. The his program for nuclear power, which he proposed, building nuclear power plants all over the world, uh, cooperatively between the countries, especially to to desalinate seawater, have cheap electricity to do that job, and have these these be joint projects in places where there's droughts or you need to increase. Uh, water for irrigation and so forth, like between the Israelis and the Arabs in Africa, between the U.S. and Mexico, between Russia and other countries, India and Pakistan. Solve the world's problems by joint projects to develop infrastructure. And 
if you if you have technical issues like nuclear waste from a nuclear power plant you don't just sit there and moan about it you, you say well let's have the recycling of that waste as fuel don't throw it away don't bury it it's fuel use it that's the, the reprocessing that's part of the kennedy program we also had a nuclear rocket under development to allow us to go to mars in about 10 days instead of a year you can't practically go to mars in a year it's not good to be in space unprotected from the uh, radiation you have to go there quickly if you if you constantly accelerate you can go easily in about 10 days and you decelerate at the end and that gives you artificial gravity by the way while you're going so you're solving problems by the use of science that's dedicated to uplifting mankind uh another thing that happened after kennedy's uh murder was when they brought in this this contrary system to block progress and to roll it back is the idea of radical environmentalism uh kennedy became president uh, uh with a very strong emphasis on african development and african uh uh independence he became friends with kwame nkrumah the president of ghana and they right. together built a great dam to uh, uh build up uh, hydroelectric power on the volta river to industrialize west africa these kinds of ideas coming in the enemy anglo-american uh, so-called establishment was very alarmed and a month no april so that would have been uh, three months after kennedy was inaugurated in 1961 they founded the the, the prince Char uh, prince philip and prince bernhard of the netherlands to the two royal families set up what was known as the world wildlife fund and they echoed kennedy's uh, uh, point of view in a certain way, where Kennedy said there's a crisis in Africa that people want development. They want to do what we did and get modern times. There's a crisis there. There's many people dying unnecessarily. So the, the World Wildlife Fund set up by these, these oligarchs said there's a crisis in Africa. Hundreds of thousands are dying. But they weren't talking about people. They were talking about uh, wild animals. Right. And uh, it was so clearly done as a dodge, as a as a misdirection of public sentiment and also a cover for other covert operations, which is very well documented with the World Wildlife Fund and, and related institutions, especially in Africa. That's where you get the, all these wars coming out of that. So this okay. thing was an initiative to tell the youth, especially the coming generation, that you have to oppose what your parents and grandparents and ancestors thought of as man's progress. Forget about mankind. Forget about the needs of mankind. What about the needs of animals? Of course, there, there's not a conflict really if you understand this thing. You're not. You're not. You're not cruel to animals if you're if you're kind to people. It's just the way it works. Uh, but they, 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 this whole concept of progress as the mission of our civilization, and especially of the United States, was, this is bad. We have to stop this. You have to have a different idea. 
we're going to have radical environmentalism. I don't mean that I'm not criticizing the idea of cleaning up the environment. You can't live in a city full of smog. You have to take care of that. You can't dump crap out of a, a chemical plant into a river. That's theft because someone has to pay to clean it up. Your company isn't paying its dues. But what these guys are saying is progress itself, the increase of our powers in nature, has to be stopped. We have to roll this back. And especially don't do anything cooperatively with other countries that might lift the spirits of the people to demand really good living standards and, and to demand that they grow up as great powers too. You know, our, our country had the view that other countries should become powerful alongside of us as our friends. The British Empire said we've got to stop every other country from becoming strong uh, because then we're, we're going to be number one. That's not yeah. how you're safe. That's not civilization. Correct. So this thing, uh, then you get these identities, uh, the identity, the sexual identity and racial identity instead of civil rights, instead of uh, just the simple right to be left alone by the government. If you're this uh, the sex problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you then say, well, we can't concentrate anymore on the progress of our country, we can't demand a higher living standard. If people are reduced out of the middle class to become poor, if the workers are made poor, if the poor people are being destroyed, there's nothing you can do about that. But while they're being destroyed, they should have fun as having a new sexual identity. And we can invent some (laughs) new ones too along the way. A lot of this comes out of Cambridge University. There's a great uh, they, they frolicked a lot at, at Cambridge in terms of designing and coming up with the weirdest kinds of lifestyles, including uh, a whole background in spiritualism, uh, and communication with the dead, and other kinds of uh, uh, things that were really at odds with what built up our civilization. Uh, and so, um, we have about like uh, three minutes left. Okay. Yeah. You got some uh, some last minute questions about uh, Yeah, what w- how do you see things faring out right now and why is it so important that uh, that the American public understand number one what is happening in the world as we're seeing this this uh this this insane unipolar world based on fictitious markets, fictitious numbers, a fictitious phantom economy. Um running its course and falling in on itself and falling apart. What do you see coming down the pike uh, in the next several months, next several years? And how can we as a people move forward and beyond this to capture or recapture the, the image of who we really are as Americans? I think that uh, you have to start with uh, looking at the change that occurred. 50 years ago, with the murder of Kennedy, and just ask questions to start with. This is something that Trump could have done he didn't do. We never had a trial for the murder of Kennedy. The country has the right to know definitively who killed Kennedy and why. What was behind that? There was a great change in our strategy 
How did that occur? Who's, whose idea was that change? The public didn't vote for free trade. They never would vote for that. How did this change take place? The whole philosophy of the country. None of the wars that are taking place in the last several decades are something that the public uh, was part of a debate that, that resolved to do these things. It wasn't like the debate about World War II. Remember, there was a tremendous debate about for, for many years about what was going on and what we should do. That didn't happen with Vietnam and with these other things, and later on, these crazy mercenary wars and, 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 and subterfuge and lying, constant lying. Now the, the projected war with Russia and China. Yep. I, I'd say the first step is ask, asking questions in in places where you're not not expected to. That's just about everywhere. You can't have public meetings. You can't do anything now. Uh, pandemic and other reasons. So ask those questions. And we have a great opportunity with this uh, question of infrastructure. Without a massive increase in investment in new infrastructure, we are finished as a country. Correct. Republicans have no concept of this. Some Democrats have an idea about it. Some Republicans do, but the two parties are, are basing themselves in feudalism, and they're calling it whatever they want to call it. Nobody says they're a globalist, but that's what's controlling the, the issue. There's no debate about it. Correct. What do we need? Where do we have to go? We have to have high-speed trains. We have to have cooperation with other countries like Russia and China to get science that's going to give us survival in the future for many, many reasons. These things need to be put forward and debated. Uh, don't talk about refugees coming from Syria and how kind you are to them when you're causing the refugees to flee their country by destroying their country in the Syrian war, which was started by England and America. What's going on? Simply ask those questions, but we have a chance to get a new outlook if we, if we fight for this infrastructure, if we ask the question, what do we need and how can we get it? Very well said. Anton Chaikin, thank you so much for being on. And I know this is like the, the first interview that we're doing, and we are just there's so much to cover. I mean, we need to have you on for like a, a full two hours and uh, <laughs> yeah. really do a deep dive because, and folks, you need to have your notebooks when Anton is, uh, is here. You got to have it. You got to take your notes, re listen to the broadcast because there's some very pertinent golden nuggets that he's leaving for us to look into, to unpack. And Anton, I would love to have you on again. Uh, this time, even for long, an hour is not enough. We got to have you for like two hours just to break things down. And even then, it's still not enough, you know. So, folks, again, go to the links are in the description box. Get the book. Who we are, America's fight for universal progress from Franklin to Kennedy. Very pertinent. Very important to understand that everything that is happening right now, it is this. It's, it, it's, in, it's encapsulated in this work that Anton has done. Anton, I want to thank you again. And folks, I want to thank Thanks, you all for listening in. It was and, great uh, to have uh, an intelligent moderator and it, gives, it makes all the difference. Really. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We have uh, your, uh, your protege is coming up next. Uh, Matthew Errett will be on. <laughs> so 
Folks, get ready for that one. And again, subscribe, like, comment, and share. And get this word out to your friends, your family, your relatives. Anybody that's out there needs to listen to what Anton just laid out for us. Needs to go and get the book and really get yourself a really solid uh, uh, education and, fa and, and foundation on, on this. And with that being said, CJ, take it away.